listening to First Church Charlotte. So tell you what, let's turn to Genesis 26. Stand with me. We will read quickly and I will return you to your seats where you may sit in reclined bliss. Genesis 26. And let's see, let's, uh, let's go back up to say uh, verse number 15. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which Isaac's father's servants, Abraham, had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Let me, let me reread that. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and filled them with earth. Now drop down to verse number uh, 18. And Isaac dug again. The wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Isaac dug again. I'm starting a series today uh, entitled, You Are Invited. And I have spent a lot of time thinking and studying and even writing about this idea of the invitational nature of the kingdom of God. And I want to just take a handful of themes and use them as examples of the invitation that God gives to you in your life, not to live an ordinary, regular, fleshly, carnal life of this world, but to strive to live a life of the Spirit, to strive to see a realm that is not visible to the flesh, to strive to be sojourners and strangers down here and look for a city that has foundations. Y'all going to let me preach here today? Whose builder and maker is God. All right, before you're seated, fish bump your... Fish bump. Don't fish bump. (laughs) That totally not would be recommended. Uh, Fist bump your neighbor and say, you really need this today, so no sleeping in church. I know you're going to have to joke that one out of your system for a little while. I understand. All right. So you guys have heard me talk along this theme a lot of the invitation God gives to us. And one of the themes of Scripture that I think really highlights this in an, in an arena of study for us is this idea of us being people of joy. We have a joy that's not of this world. We have, as the songwriter says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I I actually found uh, earlier, I found um, on an old course, I looked it up and I didn't know the words to this, but some of you probably could sing this. The name of the course is Savior, Blessed Savior. Now, this is how it goes. Oh, the joy Let me take off my glasses so I can look young. Oh, the joy, the bliss divine. Does anybody sing like that nowadays? Oh, the joy, the bliss divine. How am I doing? I think I'm doing good. (laughs) Thus to know and call thee mine. I don't know how this song goes, so I'll just write it. Savior, blessed Savior. Does anybody know that? Mom, do you know this song? You want to sing it with me? Do you know this song, Dad? The rest of you suckers hadn't been praying, so I ain't going to invite y'all to this sacred platform up here. Okay, here's the course. Not a sorrow, not a care. Thou dost all my burdens bear. 
while thy constant love I share, save your blessed Savior. So, church folks, we can sing a song like, Oh, the joy, bliss divine, and we could just keep right on going. It doesn't even bother us a bit. We get it. But if you're not, you know, churchified, if you didn't grow up in church, and someone starts talking about the joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, we don't write in King James anymore. I speak King James. If anybody would like me to speak King James, I can speak King James, and, uh, but we don't write King James anymore. Uh, nowadays, we write songs like the one our uh, uh, Pastor Nathan just wrote, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. I got the joy, joy, joy. Keep me from falling, falling apart. Yeah, mm, that one. So, um, other day riding down the road, I hear my five-year-old in the back going, mm, 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 mm. down in my heart, down in my heart. I got the. Mm, 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 mm. We are supposed to be people of joy. Yes. Let me get a try, try over here. We're supposed to be people of joy, yes? Now, uh, when I was uh, maybe 16, 17, um, I was just kind of showing some interest in ministry. My dad gave me a book by the great pulpiteer, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, the book was entitled Lectures to My Students. One of these days, I'm going to bring that book and show you or take some pictures of it because I have, I have massacred that, that book with underlining and highlighting, and it looks like I just killed a mouse on every page because it's covered in... Uh, various colors that we won't speak of. And I loved that book. It is so just full of wealth and, and, uh, and, and, and understanding. He said this in the book, sad tones may fit an undertaker, but not someone who is called to preach good news. He said, there are brethren who dress to look sad. From head to toe, they present a tone of sadness and death. They don't know how to smile or show joy. They might as well bury the dead because they'll never influence the living. My God, break it down. Tell us what you really think. And so um, we, you know, if you're like me, you some of the some of the most zealous people you know, the most religious zealous, the people with the most highly developed and finely tuned moral sense about what other people ought to be doing with their lives, they are some of the most frowny, some of the most frowny, grumpy. Don't get me started. And they can, they, they can go straight from amening the unspeakable joy to chewing you out if you steal their seat. Now, this is human nature. And the truth is, we've all been that person, so don't act too righteous. We have all celebrated in the church house and then had a word on the way home with somebody who cut us off, you know. We're like, uh, God is good. Don't, oh, don't, uh, mm. Uh, you best watch yourself. We all live in this reality that we're seeking spiritual things. Can I have a big amen? But in the meantime, we're stuck down here in the mess of the ordinariness of our life. And we are, if you are of 
the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. If there's some part of you that is drawn toward the kingdom of heaven, you are living with a divine invitation to see the world differently than almost everybody sees it. To value your life differently than almost everyone would value it. To live a life not bound by the strictures of evidence and illustration, but by the invitation of faith and spiritual authority. It is a completely different way to live. Now, if you read the Gospels, the first shock that really that comes to not just you as a reader, but the first shock that probably to a greater uh, level comes to the, the, the religious people of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the uh, lawyers of the, Mos- the, the Mosaic Law, and various church, or not church, but synagogue leaders. And the first shock is the manner in which Jesus invites his listeners to think and to live. And this is best illustrated by the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus pretty much takes everything they think they know and turns it upside down to show them their presumptions are not the path to the kingdom of heaven. There's so many shocking things in that in that passage that if you take it verse by verse and you really get into the culture behind the language, we read it with modern ears, but if you get into the culture behind the language, it is stunning just how upsetting to the ordinary frame of mind that Jesus' words would have been to, to the people. He spoke like a revolutionary of sorts. He spoke things like this. I know you have a law that tells you thou shalt not commit adultery, but I, I want you to know uh, there's a bigger problem than adultery. There's a spirit of adultery. Now, I'm using my language. There is a, there is a way of living your life where in your heart, your mind, your words and your vision, you are an adulterer, even if you are not actively transgressing that, that particular uh, law of, of, uh, given by God. It is a completely different way to think. And then, as if that's not enough, he then shocks you by saying, look, quit worrying about tomorrow. Um, consider the flowers of the field. They, they don't worry about tomorrow. They don't toil and they don't spin. And uh, They believe their Father in heaven knows where they are and will provide according uh, to uh, their needs. That's how they live. And then Jesus looks at religious people and says to them uh, that this is, this is the path. This is the way. This is how we become more like God. And I want you to see that to the mindset of the average religious listener there. This would have seemed not just strange, but borderline blasphemous because Jesus is inviting them to step forward to a higher place of commitment, a higher place of understanding that is beyond the rule of the law. And it is something written on their hearts. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. Can you live in such a manner that you do not value your life by the eyes and the understandings of the flesh. One of the great, great weaknesses of uh, the modern prosperity doctrine is they present a system of divine blessing that even an unbeliever understands. 
They present a system of values that even an agnostic understands, an an idolater understands, a heathen. Everybody wants to live in the big house. Well, not that big house, but a big house. Everybody wants to roll in the best car. Everybody wants to take the best trips. Everybody wants to dress like my mom. Everybody wants to do it. Sorry, Mom. I, I thought they were going to laugh when I said that, but they, they like, that's true. <laughs> They're like, that's true, brother. You hit me. That one hurt. That, that, that one hurt. So I, I, want, I want you to see how, how if we only live with a sense of values that anybody would understand, there's a good chance that's more to do with the flesh than it is the spirit. There's a good chance that we're be in some way, it is more an invitation to live out our wishes, wants, and desires, and not God's wishes, wants, and desires. I'm not against blessing. You guys know that. I'm not against God blessing. I'm not against you being blessed. Indeed, I want you to be blessed, but I want you to see that the greatest blessings are not the things that the carnal heart and the fleshly spirit desires. The greatest blessings in your life are the things of the spirit. The sacred quiet that can come when you stand alone in the presence of God and you lay down every resistance and you set aside. Y'all gonna let me preach here today? You set aside every distraction and you say, your way is the best way, oh God. And in that moment, his spirit begins to flow through your life and his love begins to roll over you and you are stood standing there overwhelmed in the presence of God. Now, that's to live a different way. That is to live a different way. Uh, We don't want to be the kind of people who uh, preach joy, sing joy, teach joy, and then uh, live lives that people have to need uh, a guidebook to understand our joy. Uh, Some of us will frown until uh, someone calls us on it, and then we'll turn into an instant praise leader. Oh, I'm not down. Praise the Lord. I'm doing great. No, you just got called on the fact that you look like you just killed a puppy. We don't want to have to have this formalized pretend joy. I am afraid that if we're not careful, we end up living, we can end up living, let me say this precisely, we can end up living beneath a Christian label and then live a life that anyone would understand. So when bad things happen, I'm down. When good things happen, I'm up. There's no spiritual manifestation of the values of heaven in our life. Because when there is, and I I speak for myself, I I don't want to simply have this veneer of religious uh, probity or this religious proper behavior. Uh, I, I want to have in my heart the mysteries of God. So that means there is a source of joy in my life that people would not understand. They would not, they they just, they wouldn't understand. How can you be happy in the middle of this? And my, and honestly, authentically be able to say, I have ordered my soul according to the precepts of heaven. And so the things that might would discourage others are not really at the same level of influence to me because I've sought to order my soul according to the values of another kingdom. That is what God is inviting you toward. God's not inviting you to get the biggest cross you can find and wear around your neck. Trust me, if you get a cross, it'll be on your shoulder. You understand what I'm saying? I know that's a metaphor, but I I want you to understand what I'm saying. He's not 
trying to get you to run around and announce yourself as the best Christian ever. He's not inviting you to marketing. He's not. He's inviting you to a way of living that to many people does not make sense. I want you to know this: that uh, in the in the in the in the scripture we see this repeated example of the importance of joy. Um, it is it is in Nehemiah where he says to the people, uh, "Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet." Send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, sorrow is a manner of coping. And what God is inviting you to do is to find a different manner of coping. I think I maybe lost some of you. Maybe later on you'll be like, oh, I get that. Sorrow is a manner of coping. It's how you get past this to what is next. And the Lord says, don't sorrow to this place in this time. Sorrow is not a sin in itself and it's appropriate. But at this moment, at this juncture of spiritual opportunity, he wants them to choose to cope not with sorrow, but to cope with joy. Joy is a choice we make with our life. And it only makes sense when you live according to the values of another kingdom. If you live by the standard value of this world, you'll be sad when it makes sense to be sad, and you'll be discouraged when it makes sense to be discouraged, and then you'll be uplifted when it makes sense to be uplifted, and you will have no testimony because everyone will look at your life, and they'll be like, well, yeah, they're happy. They just won the lottery. Yeah, they're sad. They just had their neighbor tell them that they had gained five pounds. It was the holidays. You probably did gain five pounds. It's okay. Let's move along. (laughs) If our life makes sense to the unbeliever, how then can anyone say the joy of the Lord was their strength? I am here to invite you to live by a different standard. I am here to extend to you the invitational nature of the kingdom of God. This is shown again and again, even at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's not commanding the disciples to wait to pray with him an hour. He's asking them this invitation. Do you want to step forward? Do you want to take the next step? Do you want to watch with me an hour? And they fall asleep because it's hard to stay awake in the midnight hour. Hour. And he says, could you not watch with me an hour? He didn't set in some type of a, of a structure of accountability, some uh, spiritual spanking machine. I need one of these for church because I'll put it back here in this area right over here. And when someone falls asleep, that spanking machine, oh, bah, bah. yeah, that guilty laughter is coming from back over there. They'd be like, oh, hallelujah. I love when people fall asleep in the prayer room. It just makes my day. I don't judge them at all. I get some of my best sleep in the prayer room. Uh, Now, falling asleep in church, I take personally, just so you know. No, (laughs) He doesn't devise this spiritual spanking machine where when they slip and snore, no, he simply invites them. So it is with this idea of joy. I want you to be reminded that even in a garden of spiritual perfection, there's a tree that leads to death and you have to choose to turn away from it. Even in a garden of true spiritual perfection that God made for his creation, there's a tree that you have to say, not this, but that. We would love, us preachers particularly, we would love 
such a thing that you could put the tree outside the garden, that you can build walls around it and keep people away from it. But no, the tree is right in the middle of the garden and you have to choose. No, I'm leaving that to the Lord. No, I will not judge God wrongly. No, I will not say that about my neighbor. No, I will not get involved in things that aren't my business. These things are death to me. Even in a garden of perfection, there is the tree that you must say, I leave that to God. So it is in our, uh, our, our era, our time, our season, our spiritual dispensation. There is not the temptation in some remove from you. Death is always right there at the door. Temptation is always right there at the door. I wish walls kept serpents out, but serpents are great climbers. And the serpent is in the garden. They're not out wandering in a wilderness and then they meet the serpent. No, it's right there in the garden. So this invitation to live by another standard, to order my soul according to divine joy, not what I have, but what God has. Not what I have done. Is anybody hearing me here today? But what God has done. I am choosing by the act of my will to order my soul according to what God says is not what my eyes say this is another way of living but this is what you are invited to live by you are invited to turn away from uh, the way the, 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 the idea the values the systems of the flesh that would tell you this and that and that and this you turn away from that you say no I am of another kingdom I am of another calling God has given me the opportunity to live as a pilgrim and as a stranger in this world down here and turn my eyes and turn my hearts toward a different kingdom, toward a different call to speak faith in the face of fear. To preach promise in the middle of despair. To speak to this old flesh that too easily falls into the systems of the world and say no, no, not that. This is where your joy is. This is where your hope is, and you are invited to joy. So uh, I'm not really preaching my notes today. You'll just have to forgive me. I, I just want to skip to this story we read here in our text of Genesis chapter number 26, and I want to end with this story as our, our musicians come. Uh, interesting, interesting unfolding of events here, and I, I, as is my nature, I would love to take, you know, several weeks and, and go into the, the layers, the spiritual layers that are shown to us in these, these literal stories in the Old Testament. The point of a story surviving through the history of God's people and being given us today is not simply narrative, but spiritual depth. I want you to understand that. The stories are, as Paul would say, examples. There is the survive, the fact the stories survive is in itself uh, a testimony to the depth of the spiritual insight. And so I want to, I want you to see here in this, this chapter 26 of the book of, of Genesis, uh, there has been where Isaac is. Isaac is the son of Abraham. Abraham had received a promise from God. Abraham had received a covenant. And the Lord had been true to Abraham and given him a son. And Isaac was that son of promise. And Isaac, 
Although he is the son of a covenant holder, uh, he needs in his life the same the same covenant to be established that was given to his father. Glad to have our teenagers in here. And I want to say to all our beautiful teenagers, we have just just so y'all know we have the best teenagers and young people. They are all they are all superheroes. But they don't they don't like, you know, pull their shirts open because I'll get them first of all. And second of all, because then they would show the all the S's that are, you know, on the uniforms that they wear. They're all superheroes and I love them. Uh, so uh, actually some of them are amazing, just amazing talents. You don't uh, the, what most of us don't even know about. But anyway, I, I want you guys to know this. It's not enough for your parents to be people of covenant. You have to have your covenant connection with God and you have to have that covenant become part of your story. It's 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 not enough for your 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 parents to have a love for the things of God. You have to stir that up within yourself. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, you guys are spiritually tougher than, than I was. I'll tell you why. God lets you be born in this generation and y'all grow up with YouTube. Y'all grow up with a gaming culture that it's so real and visceral. So no tell them what y'all dream about at night. Seventeen monsters chasing you through a castle and you have a lightsaber. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Um, but you guys... You guys are the church of tomorrow, and you guys, you guys must be connected to the covenant. It's not enough for your parents to be connected to the covenant. You Now, your parents can help you. Your parents can help you, but you have to find uh, something within you to stir up a heart for the things of God, because I want to just be completely honest with you. If you don't do that, if you don't do that, but you just try to, you know, live like everybody else that aren't people of faith, what will happen is if you don't connect to that connect that that covenant God will find somebody who will because his church is going to be established and one of the reasons why I want you guys to stir yourself up and turn your affections toward the things of God because I want it to be you <laughs> that has the gifts and the callings and the anointings of God does that make sense I want it to be you guys but God's going to have a people there is going to be a people they they may not have the benefits that say you and I had growing up in a church but I, I believe in you I love you you've got to connect to the covenant can I have a big amen from the church so Isaac has to connect. Isaac has to connect to this covenant. And uh, there's a famine in the land. This is a repeat of what happened to his father. His father was tested by famine. Now Isaac is tested by famine. So it is with all generations. And so the famine can be spiritual. It can be literal. It can be both. But it is real. And in this case... Uh, the Lord speaks to Isaac and says, look, don't go to Egypt. Now, I know there's a family tradition of solving the famine by going to Egypt, but I don't want you to go to Egypt. I want you to stay here. And so Isaac, Isaac, he, he, he obeys. And um, the Lord tells him, dwell in this land. I will be with you and bless you. And you guys watch this. Here comes the covenant. The same covenant given to his mom and dad is now coming to him. I'm reading in uh, verse number three. Dwell in this land, I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swear to Abraham your father. You don't just inherit a covenant. You make a covenant. You bind yourself to a covenant. He, and this is the Lord giving him the same covenant. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. That sound familiar? That's the same thing he had told his father. This is the establishment of the covenant to uh, Isaac. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Sound familiar? It's the same covenant. Because Abraham believed me and obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my law. So Isaac dwelt 
in the land of Gerar. So I want to, uh, without getting too deep into the story for time's sake, I want you to uh, see what happens here in uh, verse number 12. Isaac sowed in the land or reaped in the same land a hundredfold. Why? God blessed him. Somebody say God blessed him. Man, I want God's blessing. He began to prosper. He became very prosperous, the Bible says. Now, when the Bible says very prosperous, you're doing all right. He had flocks and herds and servants, and the Philistines envied him. Now, the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. This is the role of the enemy in your life. This image of a well is powerful because it is what makes an arid land wealthy is to have water. And what does Abraham do with a promised land? He doesn't sit in a corner and say, God, please, would you dig me a well? No, he digs his well and the land God has promised him. This is so much depth in this. There's no value to the land until Abraham said, God gave this to me. There must be more value here than people think. And he started digging and God blessed him. Everywhere he goes, the only permanent thing he leaves behind, he doesn't build houses. Why? He's not of this world. He doesn't build houses. He builds altars and he digs wells. That's what he leaves. What does the enemy do to the wells? Isaiah uses the same image of well in this way. 12 and 3, Isaiah with joy shall ye draw water out of the what? Wells of salvation. You see this image that's being used here. And so uh, God's given him, uh, Abraham, a promised land. It's not very much water. He digs wells and builds altars. Don't despise what God has given you and say it's a desert. It might be that God just wants you to dig a well. Yeah. Don't charge God. Say, God, if you put me here, there must be some gold in these here hills. There must be some water in these here valleys. And somebody give me a shovel. Because if God put me here, I believe in blessing. I believe in purpose. I believe in place. Some of you need to go back to something you thought was finished. And you need to dig a well there and see how God has given tremendous. All right. All right. What did the enemy do to the wells of Abraham? They filled them back with earth. They didn't know how to value what Abraham had done. So they filled them back with earth. And uh, so what does Isaac do in response? He digs more wells. You're not going to keep a good man down. You're not going to keep a faithful man down or a faithful woman down. We're going to dig another well. Why? God gave us this land. We're not just here by accident. God put us here. And just because other people can't see the wealth beneath the surface, we can see it. Give me a shovel. He dug more wells. This happens over and over. What do the enemies do? They come back and they fill the wells. What does he do? He redigs the wells. He finds water. What does the other enemies do when he digs a well? They see something of value. Nobody wants your field, but when you dig a well, all of a sudden they want to steal it from you. And they come and try to take it. Abraham, uh, excuse me, Isaac doesn't want to fight. What does he do? He believes in the sustenance God has placed just out of the vision of the unbeliever. 
I know I'm having fun with it, but just work with me here. And he redigs wells. This happens over and over. He is known, like his father, as an altar builder and as a well digger. He digs another's wells. He names that well. They come and fight over that. He's like, okay, all right. You cannot believe for anything you don't have evidence for. But I'm a person of faith. I can go to a field where there's nothing and I can dig. I might have to compliment myself. You just keep on going, brother. Keep on going. I want you to see what's happening here. He can go somewhere where nothing's visible and he believes beneath the surface there's blessing and he digs a well. The enemy comes and steals the well. Finally, they end up in a place where he digs a well and calls it Sheba and it exists to this day and they built a city there called Beersheba. Let me tell you, the enemy is always trying to fill up the wells of salvation in your life. That is what he does. That is why some of the enthusiasm that you had at one time of your life, if you're not careful, it will fade away for you. The same song that once made you leap for joy, now you can yawn through and check your text messages. Why? The enemy's in the business of filling your well. You know what you do? You either redig that well or you dig a new well, but you never stop digging wells. You are invited to joy. I said you are invited to joy unspeakable and full of glory. It won't make sense to a lot of people. It won't make sense to a lot of outsiders. But if you will believe God put me here and I am going to prosper in this land and you get to work, God will bless you. Let's all stand. Some of you need to redig a well that the enemy has filled with frustration. I want to speak to some of you who at one time of your life had an effective, an effective uh, plan, an effective style, an effective habit that God bless. At one time of your life, you had, a, as it were, a, a, a pathway of spiritual um, effectiveness. You may have taught Bible study. You may have had people over your house. You may have had, I know, I know of one guy who won a lot of people to God by, by um, cooking barbecue at his house and playing, putting on uh, messages, his favorite preacher over just out of the way, playing on a side, and his friends would come over and they'd ask about the message. He'd tell them about the message. Whatever fits your person whatever works for you you don't need to be me and I don't need to be you but whatever works for you my goodness I wish someone would hear me today there was a season in your life when you felt you felt the sparkle of divine invitation you're invited to live by a different set of goals you're invited to live with a different vision you're invited to be a sojourner down here but to live with another kingdom in view and the enemy came along and day after frustrating day he threw one shovel in some of you guys tried to start a small group and you started digging and you got some little bit of dampness down there and you saw a trickle of water and here came the enemy and he just filled it back up and you said I must not be good at that look that's where the water is it doesn't matter if you're good at it get yourself a shovel and dig yourself a well 
Some of you guys, at times of your life, have succeeded at living in a high plane of faith and spiritual expectation. You were the first one to say to somebody, God will do that. You were the first one to say, I'm going to pray with you. But here came the enemy, and he brought his uh, power shovel, and he started filling it with junk. And someone said something to you about this, and there went a few bucketfuls there. And someone criticized you about that, and there went a bucketful. And now you look down, and you see a hole filled with dirt. You know what you need to do? Redig the wells. There's joy beneath the surface. There is everlasting joy beneath the surface. Redig the wells. Man, I feel, I feel an impartation of the Spirit here today. I feel like God's knocking on somebody's door saying, this is for you. This is for you. This is for you. Where's your joy? Where's your faith? Where's your confidence in God? Where's your good sleep? You haven't slept good in a long time. Where's your peace? Where's your understanding? Redig the well of God in your life. Lord, I'm praying for every person here today who has heard this preaching. I've made an appeal from my heart, Lord. You know this has been in my spirit all week. I've done my best to make an appeal to them, Lord. Lord Jesus, now I pray that within them would be a confidence to step up and see what you can do through their hands and through their feet. Now I pray within them would be a willingness to turn away from death in their life, to turn away from fear, to turn away from stress, and to begin to live by faith to turn towards you, to begin to live as a spiritual pilgrim and stranger down here with a goal that is beyond this world, a joy that is beyond this world, a mysterious, indefinable, but nevertheless evidence joy of testimony in their life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our pastoral team's coming down to the front right now. Those of you who have a need in your life, or you are going to take a step of faith and respond to what you're feeling in your spirit right now. I would like us to end this. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us on Online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.